0: So I want to try, and I'm not going to hopefully take too long because I said it's too difficult to talk about God's sovereignty. Now, this is a word that gets bantered about quite often and sometimes in appropriate ways and other times I think highly inappropriate. And I'll try not to get into too much of that today. But God is sovereign, and that's a word we don't use very often except for in relation to God. But it means that when we say that God is sovereign, we mean that he has all power, not that he is powerful, we've already talked about that, but that he has all authority, all power, that he can and does do whatever he wants without any influence, doesn't have to ask anyone for permission to do this, he has no bounds, he can do anything that he wants to. Now, sometimes we've applied this word sovereign to a king. And once upon a time, back when things were run a little bit better, we called our states of this country sovereign and the fact that they could do what they wanted to. But that's really nothing compared to what we mean when we say that God is sovereign. Similar idea. But when we say that God is sovereign, what we're saying is that Uh, the attributes the way in which he rules creation he's all-knowing he's all-powerful and he's absolutely free to do anything that he wants at any time and in any way that he so chooses he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants If he wants the world to end now, he can do that. If he wants the world to be different than it currently is, he can do that. He can do anything at any time that he wants to. And so as I like to ask questions, the question today is, do we live that way knowing that he has that power? Understanding sovereignty is very hard for us to do because we, as much as we might think that we're in control and can do whatever we want to we really can't i'm bounded by the body that i am in i can't just go levitate and fly off somewhere even if i want to i cannot extend time i cannot make myself younger i cannot make myself older I cannot run faster than however fast I can run. I am bounded by the things that are here because I am a created being and I must live within the confines of what God has made for me to live into. I am created. He is not. And so it's really hard for us to even understand when we talk about God's sovereignty exactly what we are talking about. I can't change my form. I can't just do whatever I want to. God can do whatever it is that he wants to. He has absolute unqualified freedom because he is the creator. Let me read in Isaiah. Turn there if you'd like. We'll be there for a couple passages today. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, beginning with verse 6, it reads as follows. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And so here we see the Lord declaring his sovereignty. There is no other God besides him. He asks no one for permission. He asks no one for advice. He simply is beyond what we can imagine. He is everything. And by that standard, he rules in a sovereign way. And there are so many scriptures that I could read Talking about this. The the Bible is full. It is never really argued that he is a sovereign. He can and does and will do whatever he wants to. But here's the question we have sometimes. How often does he do that? I spoke to you a few moments ago about the tornadoes that we had a couple days ago. Did he allow that? Did he allow the tornadoes that ripped across this country? Of course. Or he wouldn't be sovereign. If the tornado had come contrary to his will, then he wouldn't be all-powerful, would he? Could he have stopped it? Of course. Or he wouldn't be all powerful. And this is the point where sometimes we begin to feel uncomfortable, don't we? Did he directly ordain it? Did he specifically say at this point, at this time, it will go this far and no further. It will wipe this house out and not the one next to it. It will kill this person, but not the person standing next to them. Did he, by detail, ordain every bit of that? Or, when he made the world thousands of years ago, and the earth was formed, and we have these changes in seasons and temperatures and mountain patterns and things like this is it a result of what was laid thousands of years ago I don't know Does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe in fact God said to Friday night this is how it's going to happen. And he's sovereign and he can do that if he wants to. And maybe he said Six, 8,000 years ago, this is how the world works. This is how wind patterns work. This is how the things go on in this world. And it's fallen because of sin and horrible things are going to happen and people are going to die. And it is also within his will that it happened that way. I don't know. Sometimes we see in scripture, God has done what? Things and purposely punished people. Other times things happen in our world and it doesn't seem to be the case. Either way, God is in charge and God is sovereign. Is that easier for me to stand here and say? Because nobody that I know lost their life and nobody that I know lost their house. Yeah, it is. Was it really hard for Job? Yeah, but he understood that too, didn't he? Many of us, I think, tend to assume and many of the world tends to assume That if God is not directly, overtly, purposefully driving some action or event or person, then somehow he's not actually in charge. I don't really take that view. I believe God often chooses to act indirectly or to allow things to happen. Now, make no mistake, he's in absolute, complete control of everything. He has complete authority over everything. But there is some element that we have a level of will in this life personally. So I said, this is a really hard subject, and we're going to be kind of brief, because I can't exhaust it today, nor do I fully understand it. In some ways, if you think about it, Only a God who truly is sovereign, who has complete control, could allow people to make their own independent choices sometimes. Does that make sense? If he wasn't, then he'd be worried about losing control, but he can't lose control because he's in charge. Whether he acts or whether he doesn't directly over you or your situation doesn't change the outcome either. I read a whole bunch of examples, and I don't know that I really cared for any of them. And as I talked about on a Sunday night a few months ago, I think we need to be very careful sometimes with examples because they fall short, whether we're trying to explain the Trinity or something of this nature. One Christmas time, many years ago, I got an ant farm. It didn't last very long, but... (laughs) If you've never seen them, they're two pieces of glass or plastic and about a quarter inch to a half inch in between. Inside a little box and you put something in there and the ants crawl around and they make little trails all over the place. I'll make this make sense in just a minute. <laughs> you wonder why I'm talking about ants. So I got it all set up, put the ants in there. Who had sovereignty over the ants? I did. What could I do to those ants? Anything I wanted to. I could feed them. I could not feed them. I could kill them. Which I did accidentally, but that's not the point. (laughs) What if I didn't like one of the ways the tunnels was going? I could fix that, couldn't I? Because I had the power to do it. Now, again, I'm... Making an analogy, understand it's really hard to expand this, okay? But here's the concept. If I didn't like the direction that the tunnel was going, I could smash the tunnel down and they'd go a different direction. Or I could slide something in there to block the way that they're going. But from the ant's perspective, the ant's free to do what? Whatever it wants to within boundaries. And it had no idea that it was within a little quarter-inch gap between two pieces of clear plastic. But I knew it. But the ant thought it was as free as it's ever going to be. It's kind of like asking, does a fish know it's in water? We are the same way. I firmly believe that God has given us the ability to act in our lives many, many, many times, if not most, to make our own choices and our own paths in life, even when it's not good for us. And we is constantly trying to give us direction by the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to tell us which way to go. And sometimes he will stop up our path so we can't go that way. And he has every right to do that. Sometimes he will block it off or cause a cave-in so we have to go a different direction. And he can do that whenever he wants to. Other times I'm free to go about my business in my little tiny confined life thinking I'm in charge. I don't know how else to think about God's sovereignty. And just as I could have done anything to those ants and moved them around and changed the environment, God can do that with us too. But just because he doesn't, doesn't mean he doesn't have sovereignty over us. Just because he doesn't make a tornado come or stop a tornado from coming, just because he doesn't, purposely have someone die or keep someone from dying doesn't change the fact of who he is and that he is ultimately in charge and has complete control now i should probably again spend like five or six sundays on this i'm just going to stop here and we're going to have to really consider this i don't fully grasp it as i told you this is going to be short because i don't know what else to say i don't always like it sometimes and you probably don't either but it is the truth. He is in charge. He is sovereign. And the ends will always be what he wants. But Just real quick, one other example I heard. Maybe this will help you better than the ants. Imagine you're on a boat, which is hard because most of us don't travel by boat. This was written by somebody many years ago. You're going across the Atlantic Ocean. You're free to move around and do whatever you want to on the boat. Does it change the outcome? No because there's one man in charge of where that boat's going. And so when we think about our lives, the outcome is one of two things. You will either spend eternity with Him because you have been forgiven by Him, or you will spend eternity separated from Him in hell. The outcome is going to be the same whether you like it or not. The answer is, what are you going to do? If the Lord is calling you to put your faith in Him, then you should and must respond. And we can run around our entire lives, do anything that we think that we're doing, have as much control as we think we're going to, but ultimately the outcome is going to be one of those two things for every single one of us. And we must remember this. We must remember that He's in charge. And I don't say that flippantly. That's why I said sometimes people use this too flippantly. Well, God's sovereign. God's sovereign. He is. But we have work to do here as well, and we must understand. The second to last thing I'm going to talk about with our proper view of God, and I'm going to finish next Sunday. But this one is, he's holy. God is holy. Holy means to be set apart, to be unique to be incomprehensible, to be unattainable. Holy is what God is. He doesn't have degrees of holiness, just like the other attributes. He cannot become more holy because he is perfectly holy, and he cannot become less holy because he is perfectly holy. It is what he is. He is set apart. He is unique. He is incomprehensible. And that holiness is what separates us from him because we are the opposite. We are the antithesis of holy. We are evil. Don't believe me? Just go check the media before Friday night and Saturday morning and you'll see human evilness everywhere you look. We are the opposite of holy and that is part of the problem. 1 Samuel 2 and 22 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. And Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read a few verses there if you want to turn. Isaiah chapter 6, this will be familiar. says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. For the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, when we think about God, we ought to think about his holiness. The fact that he is separate from us, that he is not like us in that sense, that he is uh, perfection, that he's holy. There is no sin within him, period. He is above and beyond it. Even the angels know this. They fly around, and what do they do? They cover their face, and they cover their feet. It's a sign of respect. They're covering themselves. Why? Because God is holy. And they call back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy. Separate, separate, separate. Perfect, perfect, perfect. You can even say sovereign, 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 as we just talked about. They recognize who and what God is, and they conceal themselves from him. And when Isaiah, who by all accounts was a good man, air quotes again, right? Because we know none's really good a good man, a preacher trying to spread the word and he gets caught up before the Lord and what does he realize when he stands in the presence of a holy God? He says, woe is me for I am undone. We truly can't grasp God's holiness until we come face to face with it. And we're only going to come so close to it here on this side of earth. Or what? Or we die. That's what it says in the scriptures. I would posit that anyone who has been saved at some point has come before God and realized a small portion of his holiness, and that is exactly what you have done. You have said, woe is me. And depended upon God to cleanse you so that you can be in his presence. We cannot grasp the holiness of God by thinking about something else that is good. That's why this is hard. Think about the best thing you can, the most beautiful thing you can, whatever it is. It's nothing compared to God. This is why it's difficult to understand because we can't just think about this and then add something to it. If we're going to add anything to try and understand God's holiness, we have to add infinity to it, which as we've already discussed is really hard to understand. So God is the most beautiful sunrise you've ever seen, infinity. And I'm not just being hyperbolic. I'm not making that up. That is literally the truth. He is so good, so separate, so powerful, so holy. All those things are holy beyond what we can ever imagine or think it is truly infinite god doesn't just conform to a standard he is the standard do you see how we put god in boxes well, we think well what does it mean to be holy what does it mean to be separate what does it mean to be good Well, it means these things therefore god must be those things no God is the standard by with which you think of something that's good and holy. And this creates a real problem in us. He is absolutely holy, infinite, incomprehensible. But we're not. We're not even close. This is part of what creates that separation that we have and part of what cries out inside of us because we know intuitively because we are created by a loving God. There is something set inside of us that knows there is something more out there. There is something higher than we are. There is a God, something who is holy and we are not. And many people will spend their entire lives either arguing against that concept, even though they know deep down inside something's missing, or they're chasing the wrong thing. I'm here to tell you what that is. If you know that feeling, then you need to pursue God, who is holy, who is all-powerful, who is the beginning, who is the end, who is self-existent, who is truth, who is love, who is mercy, who is grace. Pursue the one who made you. Don't fill your lives with something else. We are not holy, but God is. And because God is holy... We have to be holy to be around him. So here's another problem with all humankind. We know that we're fallen, that we're not good people. As I've said before, you just have to look around and you'll quickly see that or think about what you did yesterday or the day before, and you realize you're not a good person. We know that intrinsically. And we know that there's something better, something holy. But because that thing is holy and separate, it cannot be around us because we are a sinful people, which is why Isaiah said, Woe is me. I am undone because I am a sinner and I live with sinful people. There had to be something done to cleanse him to have that relationship with God because God hates our inequity, our sin because it's the opposite of what he is. So there's only one way that we can be made holy, is through him. I cannot and will never be good enough in my own strength to be acceptable to him. He has to impute is a word we often use, a religious word. Actually, it's an accounting term. It means to charge to the account of someone else. And so that's exactly what happened when he sent his son to die for me and to die for you. That when I put my faith in him, his grace, his love, and his mercy is applied to me. And it is imputed to me his righteousness so that I can be holy as he is holy. And at some point be in his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains this. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to reread that. and I'm going to add a few things in. Are you ready? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in our church membership, we might become righteous of God. That was not it. Let's see. So that in our baptism, we might be. No, that's not it. In our perfection. No. In our effort to be good people. Nope so that in him we might become righteous. It is nothing that we do. I cannot earn it. I do not deserve it. That is what grace and mercy and love is. Go back and listen to those. It is only in him, because he imputes, he gives to me a portion of his holiness that I can be with him. And because of that, he demands for me to be holy as well. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Where was it written? Glad you asked. Leviticus 19.2 Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Notice he didn't say, Be as holy as I am. Because we can't be. We are to be holy holy as he is holy because we can be holy if we have had his son's blood imputed to us given to us that covers us and when God looks at us I've said this time and time again if you are a believer he does not see your sins he sees the blood of Christ having paid your debt been imputed to you you are now holy and so what are we supposed to do To do everything we can to live those holy lives. That means we are to flee from the sin. We are to flee from the lies. We are not to steal. We start going down this list of all these ways that we should and should not live. Why? Because if you've been saved, you are made holy in Him, not in and of yourselves. We must believe in faith and trust that God will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We need to be holy. And so, as I said, that's a month of Sundays there. An entire lifetime. And if we really break this down, let me just briefly get ahead for next week. When we really think about these things, our lifelong pursuit should be to understand and know God as he is. And when we begin to do that, when we focus our time and effort and energy on these things, then it will come into focus how we should live. What it means to be holy, what it means to be sovereign, what it means to have him in control, what it means to have him be all powerful. So let me summarize here briefly these two things I've presented today. Holiness. Were it not for Christ's sacrifice and his imputed righteousness to us, God's holiness would be our greatest fear. If you are not saved, then the fact that God is holy and you are not should be the most terrifying thing you can possibly imagine. Because he can and at some point will take you out in a moment and punish you for your unbelief for all eternity separated from him. Why? Because you are not holy. But through faith... Through our belief in him, because of his son's sacrifice, we can be pardoned and redeemed from our sins and be holy as he is holy, not because of my effort, but because of what he did for me. And when that happens, when we have been redeemed, God's holiness becomes the greatest good and gift that we have. Because I'm no longer afraid of him in the same way. Because I know that he is for me. And so who could possibly be against me? Because I know that no matter what happens in this earth, that I have been forgiven, that I will be with him forever. But sometimes we have another problem. Even after we've been saved, we get really used to an unholy world. And it becomes almost natural. Let me read a quote by Tozer. Until we see ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us as long as they don't get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable ways. Let me give you my translation of that. We can go through life And get really used to sin. But as long as everything's kind of going okay, we don't notice it. You ever had a diet, cut something out completely for a while? Like sugar or a soda or something like that. And then you eat something, you're like, man, that's sweet. Right? Try not drinking anything carbonated for a month and then do it again. You're going to notice it. But we get used to it. Sin is the same way. If you allow it in your lives, if you allow it to fester in who you are, you get used to the unrighteousness, you get used to the unholiness, and you don't even realize what's going on until things start to get really bad. That's the point I'm trying to make here. And so the answer, the thing that we should do, is to make sure that we effort as much as we can in our daily lives to be separated from the sin so that when we see it, we know it. In other words, we can listen to so much music and read so much on the internet that just nothing ever surprises us anymore. But you know what? It should. We should turn the TV on and be shocked at how unholy that it is. That's the point I'm getting at. We should be shocked at the language that comes out of other people's mouths and the thoughts that they have when we are around them. And we will be if we make an effort to separate ourselves from the sin of the world. But if we're just going along with everybody else and we're comfortable, then it doesn't really seem to shock us. And all of a sudden we see some tragedy. Well, how could someone murder somebody? What's the Bible say? What what did I say a few months ago? It starts really small. Then God gives us over to our lusts. It goes down a path and down a path, and it gets worse and worse and worse. If you're not saved, you need to be fearful of God's holiness. And if you are, you need to try and be holy. You already are holy if you've been saved spiritually. But I'm talking about physically while you're here. And we need to separate ourselves from the unholy and let it shock us when we are around it. And what will we do then? Not do it. Going back to that diet thing, and most of you shook your head, so I'll assume we've all experienced this. One sip, one taste back, and the second one's not as bad, the third's not as bad. The next thing you know, we're used to it again. The only way to be holy is to cut it out. And sovereignty. We do have freedom to choose, but we cannot negotiate the results of that choice. If you deny God, the result will be eternal separation from him. And you don't get at the end to like have a second chance to negotiate that because he is sovereign and he is decreed. There's once appointed unto man to die, after that, the judgment We must all choose whether we will obey the gospel or turn away in unbelief and reject its authority. I believe our choice is our own, but the consequences of those choices are already here. And God is sovereign to do it. And he's not going to change his mind.